Cool. Hey, everyone. My name is Sean. This is Roots Podcast. We have another great episode for you guys coming on today. Today, we have Jason Stone. Um, he is the Director of Sports Research Innovation for Performance Innovation Team at the OHIO, Ohio State University. Um, you know, depending on where you're from, if you're a Michigan person, obviously, this is a very big rivalry for you, and you don't even say that name. Um, nope. But we're very happy to have him on. He's the first sports scientist that we have on the PAC podcast. Um, so we're definitely going to try to answer a lot of different questions specifically about sports science, how to become a sports scientist, um, and just kind of how that's transformed over possibly the last five to 10, 10 years, uh, whether it's in the college setting, pro setting, um, and just giving you guys some more insight to go off of that. Uh, so Jason, welcome. Thanks, man. Um, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. <clears throat> so big question I always ask everyone to kind of get things started is, who is Jason Stone? Give us give us the roots behind who you are. Yep. Uh, well, um, in in uh, I guess on theme with the OHIO, I am definitely a, an Ohio guy, born and raised. Um, grew up about an hour from Columbus in the Dayton area. Uh, Ohio State sports has actually been a huge part of my life. Uh, this fat head that's sitting behind me here in my home office has actually traveled. Uh, let's see, three different states now. I've had it in about seven different homes. It was in my childhood bedroom. Um, so uh, yeah, Ohio State sports, and then even just sports in general. Like I, I mean, I've, I've kind of been immersed in that in that life my entire life. Um, multi-sport athlete as a kid, all the way through high school, pretty much knew my entire life going through that entire or like that whole process uh, that I wanted to work in sport. Uh, I've never really actually considered anything other than that. I guess the only other thing I considered was doing uh, like sports science, but in the military, which is um, in a lot of ways, very similar to sport, but obviously in a lot of ways it's not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, sports is a, a, a big part of uh, who I've been and who I am now. Um, I think it, it had a lot to do with kind of uh, me maturing into, you know, a young, a young man and, um, you know, I'm really glad and grateful to kind of uh, have the opportunities that I've had that ultimately have led to me working for the Buckeyes. That's awesome, and, and I can definitely say that. I don't know how I don't know how you've uh, replanted that same fat that same fat head over and over and over, but yeah, that thing's yeah. looking like it's brand new. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not you know not receiving any any dollars from the fathead company, but. When they tell you in those commercials, or I guess I don't even know if they still make new ones or if they're even called fatheads anymore. But when they when these came out, like I got one as soon as that was like a huge thing and people were buying the big giant stickers to put on your walls. Um, yeah, that was like a big marketing point for them, right? Was that like you could move it around and put it on different walls? And I I have literally done that and multiple rooms in 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 Ohio growing up. And then I went on to grad school in Texas, took it with me more grad school in West Virginia, took it with me. And uh, now it's a perfect Zoom background. Yeah. And it's great to hear that, you know, those goals you were thinking of as a, a younger adult or a teenager, adolescent are finally kind of coming fruition. I mean, I, I always try to tell people, you know, when they start getting super frustrated, not getting to that overarching place that they want to get to It's it's not you know, like, I'm not going to get there. It's just, when is it going to happen? Right. Or when is the opportunity going to pop up? And and for every person that's going to happen at a different time. Um, so the only thing you could do is work as hard as you can in the place that you're at. And then when those situations pop up, be able to take advantage, jump on top of it. And then hopefully that, that goal pops up, which in your case, 
kudos for you. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly right. Just nose to the grindstone and just keep at it. <clears throat> It'll come. Now, we were talking a little bit before we jumped on, you know, you were saying that, you know, Ohio State's doing a little bit something new with this, what you're calling an innovation team. Um, I know you had mentioned there's a committee and there's kind of people from academics and sports kind of coming together. Um, I don't know if it's making decisions on kind of how things are going to project from there. So could you give us a little bit of insight on that and kind of what you guys are doing there? Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect overview of it because that's that's ultimately the purpose. So we it all started with um, a guy that I uh, worked a lot with in West Virginia during my Ph.D. period was uh, Dr. Josh Hagen, who I who I actually met right out of undergrad a long time ago and kind of got me into uh, or that the work that they were doing in that lab in the Air Force uh, got me into sports science and performance sciences. So, um, yeah, he started it in Ohio State back in uh, almost actually probably a little over a year ago now. Um, and he he came to he came to Columbus kind of with this idea of the performance innovation team or the PID, as we call it. Um, so then when I landed in January, it just continued to grow. And then we brought Justin Merrigan in um, shortly thereafter. Uh, and, yeah, we're continuing to grow. So ultimately what it what it is 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 um, Josh works uh, as the director of the Human Performance Collaborative, which is a collaborative within the Office of Research um, that uh, is pretty open-ended in terms of like the the lines of research that you can that we can, I guess ultimately go after. So human performance is a very broad broad topic. Um, but Josh, Justin, and then myself obviously have some pretty uh, like applied experiences in military and in sport. So that's where we spend some most of our time, especially me with the sport and those two um, with a lot of the military stuff. Uh, but ultimately, what with Josh and this performance innovation team on the academic side, what we want to do is harness the incredible amount of power and resources that are already right here in Columbus that are ultimately uh, without something like the pit in, in some way, shape or form, they're going to be pretty siloed. Uh, so we want to be able to bring a lot, a lot of similar minded people in terms of human performance innovation um bring them to the same table in these pit in this pit group uh as some very applied practitioners on the athletic side of the house so, so people like coach Mick Marotti who's the premier strength coach in all of America and um some sports medicine people Doug Callen and Adam Stewart and a lot of and a lot of really really bright minds um within within the athletics department nutrition as well Kayla Olson is another one that uh helps out a lot and um, yeah, so the, what the performance innovation team then serves as is, is uh, I, I've heard it called a committee, an advisory panel, board of directors, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just a, a group of people that ultimately just want to enhance the, the well-being and the, I guess, the, just the overall student-athlete experience from a performance and health standpoint uh, for the student-athletes here at mm -hmm. Ohio State. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but like a lot of decisions are made within that group in terms of kind of like what kinds of sports science initiatives do we want to go after across the university? What sorts of things do we want to publish? Um, even like I'm talking like peer reviewed publications. We've already got a couple in the in the think tank. Uh, hopefully that'll come out mm -hmm. um, maybe by the end of the year. I don't know. Publications kind of take a while, but uh, <laughs> um, hopefully definitely at least get them submitted um, this fall for sure. But uh yeah. And then um, like vetting technology, trying to understand like what kinds of new tech and what kinds of new tech do we want to maybe think about bringing in? How do we optimize a lot of the procedures and strategies that we're currently implementing with the tech that we do have? Um, 
and then from the data side, what, you know, like from a reporting and basically just trying to develop this closed feedback system of data collection, data analysis, data reporting, uh, data interpretation. Um, what are we, I guess, what, how can the pit ultimately uh, help facilitate a lot of those efforts as well? And I think that's the, the perfect example of, of breaking down a silo, right? Yeah. You have yeah. these, you have these amazing resources around you, right? Where if you don't tap into them, you're really only hurting yourself and limiting what you could possibly do. And at the end of the day, if the, the athlete is ultimately the overall goal to try to help them improving it better as, you know, that 360 degree approach, why not utilize every single resource that we possibly can and actually do it? Right. And it's great to see that utilizing information from maybe more of that academic side where they may not always get over to the applied or in the field side. You guys can be able to expose to them how you're going to do it from the applied side. But with those resources and that information, possibly even stuff that you don't even know, now you're able to directly have more of a process to start with application or actually use even some of those athletes, I'm assuming, probably as subjects to do more research that maybe the academic never had access to, but now since you guys are in there and you're the applied setting, and then you have more relationships with the coaches and the staff and the sports medicine staff. Now that connection comes together and it's like, Hey, you want to use some of our athletes? Cause this is going to help us do X, Y, and Z. Hey, no problem. How many athletes do you need? And then it becomes that easy. And now whether it's with one sport now you can do that with multiple sports. Um, so I think that's, that's, awesome that you guys are doing that i'm sure lots of other schools are trying to get there or probably doing that to a certain extent um, but i think that could be a really good example for others to try to tap into or even reach out to you to get information how to do that themselves yeah for sure um yeah i mean we we, we definitely try and approach it as as like absolutely interdisciplinary like truly interdisciplinary like i don't i i tried to like explain like what the difference between multi and interdisciplinary is and multi still leaves these silos where like interdisciplinary is literally the purpose of the pit. It is to make sure that people from engineering and, and uh, like data science and all like all the artificial intelligence and machine learning stuff that we're after uh, even like a, a guy like Dr. Bill Kramer, who's a, you know, a strength and conditioning sports science savant. He, he literally wrote textbooks on the stuff, mm -hmm. uh, multiple textbooks that being able to make sure that, all of these people are talking to each other, but not only are they talking to each other, they're also talking in the same room or in the same environment as people like coach Mick and, and all these like very applied, obviously practitioners that are literally the boots on the ground doing the day-to-day -day work of um, developing these student athletes. Um, and then yeah. I think another really unique part of that is because of how the human performance collaborative is set up and we're doing like department of defense research uh, now we're going, we're, we're getting into a lot of like longevity and just overall well-being uh, research that is more like general population, I guess. Um, you can, what we're able to do is, you know, like athletes are, are extremely healthy people in a lot of ways. So we can start to, you know, extrapolate a lot of things and insights from what we're, what we're garnering from the pit and from ultimately uh, our efforts from a, like a performance science standpoint with athletics and then kind of feeding that up the chain of, uh, you know, getting it back to our partners in the Department of Defense and and helping us uh, pursue, I guess, even better research on the like longevity side of things. Yeah. And it, even in my own case, like 
one thing I'm really invested in trying to do is, is like looking at biomarkers and how do I use it? How do I apply it? How am I going to have some type of protocol from a supplement standpoint to be able to verify that it's helping via from what I'm seeing? Um, and again, just giving us more firepower to be able to continue to keep reaching and progressing in the manner that we want to. Now, you, you mentioned there at the very beginning, interdisciplinary team. What, what do you, why do you feel some schools or departments struggle to have that cohesiveness to be able to work together to essentially help the athlete when at the end of the day, everyone knows that's what needs to be done and that's what needs, that's important, but some still struggle to be able to accomplish that for the overall greater, greater being of the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with just culture of sport versus culture of academia. Um, a lot of times those don't really mesh that well. And uh, for, I mean, a multitude of reasons that vary, I guess, university to university, but regardless for one way, shape or, or one way or another, they're not really, uh, those cultures don't always mesh. And, and a big part of, um, I think what leads to like these, these initiatives not being truly interdisciplinary is a lack of like mutual language of what's being understood and what's being, what's being studied. Uh, so like trying to, from like an academic and a research side of things, like just thinking about the normal process of research. And like, I, I was just talking about us trying to get publications out. Publishing takes forever. So now we're trying to publish something to get it out to, uh, I guess in this case, it would be more than just people at Ohio State. Uh, but trying to get research information out is not always this super streamlined um, process. And it's not really research papers are not written to be interpreted by uh, everybody. Like they're super scientific, uh, like writing styles and you have to adhere to all these different journal specifications. Yeah, and it's like if you're looking at it from a person who's trying to apply it and it's like you have very minimal time to read, look at it, take it in and do something with it. Yeah. It then becomes, it's like, oh, like here's this 15 page paper. You know, a lot of times I just go to like, what's the conclusion or what's the discussion? What are they telling me? Exactly. Is it is it a high quality article that has merit? Okay, what can I do with it? And who are the people around me? Are they going to listen to me and, and be able to try to make this change or not? That's yeah. always the tough part. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's why we're trying to like, um, we're pushing things like infographics and, you know, just trying to even in the, like re published research is a really good example of that because we're just trying to exactly that like simplify that whole entire process so that you know strength coaches or nutritionists when there's <clears throat> excuse me when there's new papers coming out and obviously they come out pretty frequently uh, I mean that's primarily what I use my Twitter account for is just ingesting research a lot um, but that's part of like what I enjoy to do as part of my job and I see it as part of my role and responsibilities as a sports scientist to stay up kind of up to tune with some of that literature and then ultimately be able to to uh, like distill it down into, you know, instead of having to read 15 pages of, of a research paper for the nutritionist to actually apply it, uh, instead, we can just give her the bullet points of like, this is what they did. Uh, these are the findings. This is how we apply this in our environments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the more we can do, I mean, I'm even with a, a couple other people that I'm just on literally like research email every month. Yeah, like they'll send me an email out. Here's the top articles that came out 2021, 2022, things that are coming out soon. And like they'll send me the articles, but then like they'll also do like a little debrief, give me some ideas of like what's coming from each article. 
So that almost gives me the option, like, all right, if I want to go into it more, I can. If I don't want to go into it more, here's some brief kind of points that I can go off of. And then it allows me, it's like, all right, here's these people within this, this group that if I still don't understand it, I always have someone that I can always go have a conversation with the tr- that, that may be way smarter than me and had more knowledge and applied it that could possibly do it in, instead of me. And kind of like back to your point that you said earlier, um, you know, a, a lot of times like people are doing a lot of this stuff in practice, but again, it, it takes so long for the research to come out that it's like, oh, I've been doing this for three years. Well, there's no research on it. Well, we've been trying to put research out, but it's just taken a long time. And actually what we, from our opinion and what we've been doing, it works. Yeah. But then a lot of times you got the other part of the coin where it's like, well, if there's no articles to represent and say it works, then can I really enforce or show the other people within my department that we should go ahead and do this? And that becomes a touchy subject. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then again, just like the deaf, or I guess the way that like somebody within athletics would interpret research is a lot of times going to be very different than a, than like, uh, like your more conventional academic researcher where in academic research, things are highly controlled. And it's something that you as the researcher have a lot of control over the the research design and the the methodologies and your outcome variables and all the all basically the entire study where obviously in a very applied world uh the hardest part of it is that almost nothing is controlled right so um that's like that's 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 again part of like the barrier i think yeah the athlete come, doesn't come at the right time or doesn't want to do what you're supposed to do yeah yeah. Like, what are you going to do? You know, like they're probably going to get disciplined, but like you can't control all the possible scenarios that come into that p- a point. No way. No way. <laughs> um, So kind of as we transition here, can you kind of give the audience like an idea of what is a sports scientist? I mean, I, I think that that title has kind of morphed over the last few years. And I think it's been pretty progressive and pretty fast and how it's it's gotten bigger. I mean, more schools are investing in these types of individuals to have on their team because at the end of the day, data talks, data is what's helping us make a lot of decisions and it's helped us making more efficient, smarter decisions. So that way the athletes can perform better, stay in the field, reduce injuries, reduce illness, um, ultimately what we want so that we can, at the end of the day, get wins, which is what everyone wants to. <laughs> nice. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think what, one of the biggest misconceptions. So first, like what I think sports science is not is like, especially now in more modern times, the more and more that like technology gets and wearables are becoming so commonplace. Sports science is not just simply technology to me. Although I think that's where a lot of people, their minds immediately go. Um, Obviously data is part of it and technology is certainly part of it. And technology has allowed sports science as a field to just explode and like you just said like the last you know decade probably um it's ultimately like tech was kind of my introduction into becoming a sports scientist and how i was kind of enthralled with all of this back when i had a job in the military um but ultimately like you don't have to have technology to do sports science in my mind you don't like there's all kinds of ways that you can collect data i think a high school with a sports science budget of zero uh, could figure out ways to do it. Obviously, you still got to collect data and like look at the data. Um, so maybe you don't have somebody in a uh, small funded high school scenario to to do those kinds of things. But to me, I mean, sports science is just applying like scientific method and theory to the sport or to the environment that you're working in, ultimately just with a, a fundamental purpose of augmenting 
health, performance, uh, longevity, like I mentioned, like long-term development of the athlete. Um, so obviously data kind of underpins that, but the scientific methodology, I think, is what's also really important uh, while still acknowledging what I literally was just talking about, about how, you know, things are not always super controlled in the in the sport world. So uh, being very creative, I think, in terms of how to go about your data collection and your data analysis and thinking about all the different kinds of like perspectives and again, like uncontrolled variables um, that ultimately like you're just trying to deliver data driven holistic insights at the end of the day. And that ultimately to me is what sports science is. Yeah. And like, and to your point there, it's like, if you're in a high school and if you got an Excel sheet, yeah, yep. even if it's a collecting a couple of different numbers, right? Like even if it's a strength coach and he's collecting your three rep max for, for bench squat and I don't know, pull-ups or something. Right. It's yeah. like, ultimately he's collecting data. He's looking at pre and post. He's seeing if you improved or not. If you didn't improve, then he needs to come up with a different action plan or a different program to help you get, get you from point A to B from point B to C going into the next year. And then he can essentially look at trends and like, that's a very small example, but then you look at, you know, at Ohio state or some of these other places, like we have a thousand different pieces of technology and it's like, that can be a little bit um, cumbersome at times because everyone wants you to follow a thousand different numbers and data points. But then it comes to that point too, where it's like, we, you still have to be simple and you still have to follow a couple data points. Cause if you get, you know, too complex and too much, then it becomes it's like, well, what am I even looking at? Yeah. Or when you're trying to transcribe that over to a coach or transcribe data over to sports medicine staff who now have never been exposed to it, right? Yeah. You're not going to be able to shove all these numbers in their face from the start and get them to trust and, and believe what you're trying to give to them. So it's like, you got to have that give or take based on the environment, the scenario you're in. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that that right there is probably the most important yet most challenging part of being a sports scientist is um, basically taking like statistical tests and analysis and things like that and trying to communicate those things and translate those things uh, in a very actionable and simplified way for all of the various practitioners that you just mentioned. And um, I know we talked on a couple of different occasions. It's like you also don't have a very long time frame to do that. Yeah, yeah coach, exactly. coach may give you five, 10 minutes or... Yeah. They may give you once or twice a year. It's like, here's your time to come in. Tell me what I need to know. And if you don't make an impression like during that time, boom, you could, you could have lost everything that you wanted to try to do, implement all the ideas you had. Cause if they say no, or they're kind of, kind of feeling like, eh, about it, you might've lost them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's happened to me before. It's part of the learning experience for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I see, part of the, I guess a continued definition is that it's definitely separate from it being sports science. Like I see it as being a separate entity within like the performance team, I guess, of like a, of a single athletic team. Uh, it's separate from strength and conditioning and sports medicine and nutrition and psychology and these things, but it's, it's highly complementary to them. So, and that's where I think technology is ultimately empowered the like the daylights out of sports science, because uh, all those different stakeholders are now able to collect data at a pretty high clip um, at both breadth and depth. Uh, so as a sports scientist, you know, I think a big role is then to be able to collate all that data from all these different stakeholders, bring things together so that you get this uh, very holistic snapshot of, of your like day-to-day, -day, I guess, readiness is a big buzzword, like readiness of 
of your athletes on a, on a daily basis. <clears throat> so how does someone get to the point to become a sports scientist? Cause just, again, my, my time going up in athletics, like I've seen a, you know, strength coach, quote unquote, now transitioning to become a sports scientist, or I've even seen dietitians that are now the sports scientists, but you know, they don't technically have a degree in sports science, or they don't have anything in like data analytics or anything like that. It's just kind of, they fell into it or they love numbers or they want to see results. So they want to collect stuff. Like, is there now that direct path where you can go to school, get a degree in it, and then be able to have like internships and fellowship opportunities to progress yourself into those type of roles. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's definitely um, we've mentioned it a few times already, but I, there's a lot more op- opportunities out there now compared to like when I was coming through school and like all these different fellowships and assistantships and assistant positions and graduate programs that are much more pointed at like collegiate sports science um, or even fellowships within like American professional sports as far as I was aware, like coming up when I was going through graduate school and stuff, I, I was not like, I was not tuned into a lot of that stuff. And even trying to figure out like what uh, grad programs to do, uh, that was very much kind of like a grab bag of there's not just, you know, go to this school to do sports science. There's now I'd say that's, that's been around at ETSU for a very long time in Dockstone, no relation. Um, has done a has done a really good job with that program, and you know the the evidence is there with all of his students that are hired all over the country now with all kinds of really cool jobs in sports science, and um, you know in a lot of ways that's kind of laid the framework for how I think a lot of these other universities are definitely going to start following suit, Ohio State included. Um, we want to uh, ultimately provide more educational opportunities, but. I think if you're like a young and up and coming aspiring sports scientist, um, I'd say just try and grab at any opportunity that you can, because what ultimately is going to matter later down the line are those applied experiences and kind of getting to where I was just saying, like a lot of the breakdown between uh, like before I was saying academic and research, but now what I'm saying is like science and like being very sciencey or very like statistically driven uh, where a lot of the breakdown then starts to happen between that that kind of mindset and sport is not again just simply not being able to talk the same languages and being able to translate things to coaches and practitioners in a way that's very actionable for them. And the only way that you're going to get better at that is just getting experiences, doing internships, doing um, pursuing like assistantships and the fellowships that I alluded to. Uh, a lot of the background for sure. I think it helps to have performance backgrounds and like exercise physiology. Cause I think at the end of the day, like sports science, the main thing that's going to drive sports science is training model, training theories, things like that, to make sure that all this data that you're tracking is going along with your kind of like your, um, like the training stress adaptations and things that you want to make sure that are happening at the right times at the right time of the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it from like an educational background perspective, like my first two degrees, my bachelor's and my master's degree were very exercise physiology heavy, um, especially my master's was was pretty starting to get pretty applied with like resistance training and strength and conditioning practices and things like that. Uh, and then my my Ph.D. became even more applied when it started to get into still very like sports sciencey, but a big part of it then became like coaching and pedagogy and things like that to understand even more about how to communicate things like 
just in general communicate to to coaches and things like that um and i'd say so like a keyword right there is is knowing how to communicate that yeah. information yeah. <laughs> is like said, most important and most challenging part of the job <clears throat> yes um and, and kind of go to a couple of your points there is i've even had a couple you know interns in the nutrition side right like i always say like you're not going to learn what you need to learn in your bachelor's. Like, I'll be absolutely honest, honest with you. I'm sure you can say no the way. same thing about sports science, strength conditioning. You can say the thing about psychology, whatever it is, right? Like, until you start getting into it, internships, fellowships, graduate assistant positions where like your boots on the ground, having to do it, having to communicate with all sorts of different personalities, having to deal with all these different scenarios that you're never going to be able to doing a case study or sit down doing in a classroom, like you have to be able to face them head on and be able to deal with those situations when they occur, when they happen, but also be able to know how to handle those in those stressful situations and be able to stay controlled and be able to still have an action plan and make it productive, no matter what the situation comes out of it. And I think, you know, again, unless you're in those hands-on experiences it's going to be very hard to get those skills or I always call them tools to be able to do your job at the next level. Or if you want to get into those assistant director, director roles, or, you know, you know, you see a lot of strength conditioning coaches or, or certain individuals now getting into those athletic director roles, you know, getting a seat at the table there. Um, all of those experiences and mentors, all that's going to help you be able to build up to that point because of what you learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then I, I the other thing I mentioned with like, your educational background, it, it, I think it definitely helps to have that performance and like exercise physiology background. But I think you can, there are a lot of people out there that are very good sports scientists that ne didn't necessarily start in that either in terms of like education and degrees. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's going to have to, if you're, if that's not going to be your background and like what you studied in school, then your applied experiences very much uh, need to, um, I guess, compensate for that. And then you just, still need to show a lot of content knowledge in the performance realm. Uh, otherwise, going back to the communication piece, if you're sitting there, most of who you're going to spend a lot of your time with are going to inherently be strength coaches. Yep. If you can't talk performance and recovery and adaptation and, you know, just good I mean, luck. They're yeah. not <laughs> the terminology. You're going to get laughed out the door. So yeah, look, this is a hypertrophy. You didn't know what that means. Yeah. Look at yeah. you like, yeah, <clears throat> you're like you're done, though. You, yep. you got to be yep. able. I mean, like you said, having those backgrounds allows you to speak the language of other individuals that yep. are going to be surrounding you and working with you every day. So it's, even if you don't know or you haven't had experience, like the more you can get around and just ask a lot of questions, the better you'll be set up for success. Forward. Yeah, and I think a, a point that comes from that, too, is like and when you're doing like especially younger like during under like early undergrad days thinking about a lot of volunteer experiences now it's I'm literally just in this moment i'm thinking about back to like what i was doing and i think it looking at it now like it definitely helped me because um at that time we're going through undergrad and even probably a year and a half after undergrad i was pretty dead set on wanting to do like sports medicine and be like a team physician that was that was my childhood dream until I got that job in the Air Force and was like, uh, I think I like performance optimization rather than rehabilitation. But point being, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of very like clinical applied experiences all the way through my undergrad and then even continued past undergrad, uh, being around physicians, PTs, athletic trainers, like the whole gamut.
yeah. uh, to where I think that definitely helped me even or is continuing to help me now. Like you just said, being able to speak the language of, of those folks. And then my master's was super SNC heavy, but it was also very nutrition and biomarker heavy. So being able to get uh, some of that, like a lot of those perspectives too. And then my, my PhD was ultimately the culmination of bringing everything together, being able to talk to all these different stakeholders. So just trying to stay as like versatile and well-balanced in your like experiences, especially the applied experiences, um, I think is only going to bode well for you in the future. Yeah. And I, I think a, one thing everyone could take, take away is just go and talk to those individuals in your sports medicine. If you're on the sideline, ask a couple of questions. Like if you got like 30 minutes and you know nothing about athletic training or what they do, like just go talk to them and have a conversation. Like, Exactly. One, like we're doing here, just get to know the person as a person. Yep. And then two, get to know what they do. You have those two things put together. Now you have a trust and a relationship and a bond. Now it's going to be much easier for you to do your job and you're not going to be stressed every day. If something doesn't go right, you're going to know that person has your back because you took the time yep. to get to know who they are. Yep. Exactly. Um, which I think anyone that's been on my podcast so far has kind of been like a theme across the board is just, those are really big stakeholders anywhere you're going to go. So it's like when you first get someplace, that's, that's some key things you should definitely invest in from the start. No yeah. one cares about your degrees and no one cares about how smart you are. And no one cares that you put out, you published 50 articles, like <laughs> they could literally you, care less. If anything, the more that you like double down on that stuff, uh, the less engaged you're going to be. Cause now you're just kind of tooting your own horn and, and you're not like you're in it for the wrong reasons, ultimately. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, one thing I like to ask people is, you know, instead of like, what's your favorite book or podcast or stuff like that? What's what's one or two people you would recommend the audience to hit up on LinkedIn, Instagram, reach out to call that you think that could make that would be willing to talk to them and mm -hmm. can, can provide a lot of knowledge and information and be open to have those conversations. Yeah, I think the first guy that comes to mind is one of my best friends. He was actually my roommate in West Virginia, um, a mentor for me through my PhD. We met each other in our master's degree. Now he he works alongside me here at Ohio State. That's Justin Merrigan. Um, we've worked a lot together in the last several years, and I think he's a, a brilliant mind in human performance, and he's certainly very open to um, you know, networking and getting to know more people and educating younger people that want to get into this space. Uh, he's also super broad and and what he works on from, you know, like I said earlier, that's, he, he's very involved in sport, has been very involved in sport, military research, more tactical, like police firefighter tactical type research. Um, now he's getting really into this um, super powerful, super interesting longevity type research with uh, Dr. Hagen. Actually, both of those guys. I wasn't going to have Dr. Hagen be my second one, but also another dude. Uh, we'll just make him a tie for number one. Honorable mention. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely reach out to both. Those guys are super receptive to that kind of stuff. Um, but then the other guy that I was going to mention is uh, my PhD chair is Dr. Guy Ormsby, who is a Doc Stone ETSU descendant. Um, he's a professor at, at WVU and uh, still helps out with a lot of the sports science initiatives and educating young sports scientists at West Virginia uh, spearheaded a new uh, bachelor's degree there in performance science that I think is super, super powerful. Um, I'm really, really excited for where he's taking that and hopefully rolling that into like graduate degree programs uh, to give more formal opportunities in the education realm, uh, getting at what we were just talking about. Um, but also, um, I mean, the guy's an encyclopedia in terms of 
uh, you know, like the history of sports science and the history of strength and conditioning and where we've been and where we are. Uh, it's, it's really fun to talk to him about that kind of stuff. Um, and he's been obviously super impactful in, in my PhD work and ultimately where I'm at now. There's just like some of those people that have like a photographic mind, like they yeah. could just everything they, they read, they could think of, and they could recite something from 20, 25 years ago. And you're like, how did you remember that most minute detail or know how we got from this point to that point? And it's always because my, my uncle, to a certain extent, is like that, like with he can do that with our, our kind of our family history, like he's invested a lot of time into that. Yeah. And like he could tell me something about um, a, a great great grandmother uh, in, in 1970, whatever, who had this polka dot dress on. And I'm just like, how did you do that? Like, where did you pull that out of? <laughs> so those individuals are always, always really impressive to me to, and those are always the funnest people. Cause like the stuff you can learn from them in, in a 30 to 60 minute conversation is, is crazy at times. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And hey, the fact that he came from ETSU, like I, I mentioned that too, like they, they kind of set the standard for, especially from like the education standpoint of how to prepare sports scientists for the professional world in American sport to be a sports scientist. Um, I mean, yeah, he's just, he's, he's a perfect example of, of what that kind of uh, program can produce and ultimately hopefully uh, what he can then help develop at West Virginia to follow suit. <clears throat> yeah. It provides a great groundwork for the, that university and now he can branch and kind of build that off of there. Yeah. No doubt. Well, Jason, it was it was uh, a pleasure having you on. Um, lots of obviously great nuggets and good information to hear. Um, as always, everybody, um, I'm going to put anyone that I talk with, contact information is always going to go in the show notes. Um, everyone that I try to bring on, I usually try to talk to ahead of time to make sure that you know they're willing and open to talk to other individuals because that is one of my goals um, is always try to bring people on that are open and available and trying to, again, um, pass on information, teach information, and then learn from each other um, so that we're all getting better at the end of the day. Um, so we're, again, spreading those roots to help everybody and ultimately the overall goal is to help our athletes. Um, so, again, really appreciate you having you on, Jason. Love it. Thanks, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm also uh, very much an open book, so feel free to reach out at any time. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks, man. You too. <clears throat>